Hey, Jeff here. This morning with my integral bro and a friend, uh, Keith Witt, psychotherapist out of Santa Barbara. Keith, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. <laughs> well, Keith, you and I have some of the best conversations, so we <laughs> thought we'd just turn on the recorder this morning <laughs> and uh, you know, capture some of this because you know, you've been doing psychotherapy for many decades. Yeah. Um, you've sat across from the human beast in very intimate ways as people sort out their lives. And, and then you're also, you know, a, a deeply informed, uh, you know, functioning integralist. And mm-hmm. have, um, you know, with your books and your teachings and your website. In fact, you want to give a little plug to your website. Let's do it early on here. Yeah, drkeithwitt.com. It's called The School of Love. I have uh, a series of lectures that I'm presenting. I'm on, I'm on the 11th of a series of 24 lectures that I'm giving that are presenting a kind of a unified theory of development and psychotherapy and relationship and sexuality. And I have a joke series that I do with my son called Therapist in the Wild where, you know, I don't have to... They're great. <laughs> I wanted to have one form of teaching where I could, I could just, say whatever the hell I please. Well, give and, a couple uh, of the titles because they're really interesting and I think juicy. <laughs> well, one of them is Two Rules for Guys. Don't be a dick, don't be a pussy. That's one of them. Another one is how to, <laughs> <laughs> Another one is how to handle a dick boss. Um, uh-huh. We're going to post one on how to masturbate because nobody ever teaches teenagers how to masturbate. Um, oh, good Lord. <laughs> we have another one called Speed Development where... In uh, four and a half devel- uh, minutes, uh, my son asked me to act out um, the developmental fulcrums from uh, uh, birth to death. That We just posted that uh, last week. You know, fun stuff. And then I have Excellent. blogs that I do. I've posted about 80 by now. I, I, on different, there's different things that come up that are perspectives that I feel are very important perspectives. And so a couple of pages in the modern world is pretty much all anybody can stand. And so I'll write a couple of pages about those perspectives, and then they're wide-ranging. A lot of them have to do with development and happiness and joy and relationship and neuroticism and pain and parenting and all the things that that people deal with because that's what I deal with as a psychotherapist. Yeah, so KeithWitt.com. Yeah, Dr. KeithWitt, D-R, KeithWitt.com. Well, man, and we'll have it on the site here too great so one of the things that you and i talk about is you know if we are indeed evolving beings in an mm-hmm. evolving cosmos there really is uh, a cutting edge of human development mm-hmm. uh, we see that it's coming out of traditional modern postmodern, and then there's post postmodern, which we call integral yeah which is a stage of development that is emerging on the planet right now mm-hmm. and there are individuals who recognize that they are part of that and that there are various markers that we note that we can recognize in ourselves and as we do that we actually want to you know consciously work on inhabiting this new territory of consciousness right mm-hmm. yes so you know what are you seeing in your Patients, I mean, we, we talk about maybe three, four, five percent of the population is in this territory on a good day. <laughs> mm-hmm, right. Uh, what are you seeing in yourself and others? Well, one thing is I'm seeing is there's a difference between the conversation that you and I are having right now 
There's a difference between our we space, our mutuality, and other we spaces and other mutualities. That difference is that you and I share an enormous number of perspectives and an enormous amount of shared values. You know, we don't have to be talking about them all the time, but they're there. Both of us right. have, have woken up in certain ways. And to a certain extent, the second tier is when you're mostly woken up to the fact that all the memes are always existing. They're coming in and out of me and you and everybody in healthy and unhealthy manifestation. Right. And as that, as we notice that, as we wake up to that, we look around and we go, wow, it's a new world. This is what where Ken has just goosed everybody's development by providing to those of us that, that find integral and appealing map. You know, some people are map people, some people aren't. But to those of us that, that, that find integral and appealing map, it has provided uh, the directions for us to climb to the points where periodically we wake up. And then we wake up and there's a new world, and then we explore that world. So what is that waking up, Keith? What's that look like and feel like? What does it look like and feel like? You know, uh, uh, I've been reading Ken's excerpts uh, mm-hmm. on the trilogy. Wasn't expecting to be uh, sucked up by it. You know, I, I was kind of reading, I started reading it kind of out of a sense of obligation. I went, you know, I should read this. And so I, you know, dialed it up, and all of a sudden it was an hour and a half later, and I was going, God, I'm getting tired, I better stop. You know, it, it pulled me in. So Ken says there's a calculus of indigenous perspectives. Okay, now if I say the words calculus of indigenous perspectives to my wife, who spends a lot of her time at a, at a second-tier level of consciousness, she literally retches at me. <laughs> she says, right. <laughs> do not to use those words in my presence. Calculus of indigenous perspectives, you know, screw you, Keith. Right. But for me, calculus of indigenous perspectives, when I understood what that meant, which is basically taking all eight zones and organizing them around the present moment, being informed by them in the present moment, there was a deeper understanding of the quadrants to me, a deeper understanding of the present moment. And because I'm an aqua guy, that pulled lines, levels, types, and states in with it. And all of a sudden, there was this pleasurable little linking, symbol linking. A, a friend of mine used to say he had a form of therapy called symbol linking therapy. Link, 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 link. And I just could feel my universe just kind of deliciously shifting into a new level of understanding. Link, 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 yeah. link, link. Yeah. Okay, that's waking up. And it's intensely yeah. pleasurable. A- actually, human brains are wired so that uh, there's a seeking circuit in our brain. People think that the seeking circuit is actually the reward circuit. That's not exactly true. There's at least two pleasure circuits in the brain. One is the, 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 just the opiate pleasure circuit of like you feel after a good meal. Ah, boy, I feel great. You know, the, you know, after great sex, after a good meal, you know, you're just relaxing. But then there's a seeking circuit where you're excited about pursuing something. Yeah. Um, you know, the lion chasing the zebra is just excited, having a really good time. That's a seeking circuit. Us pursuing insight. And that circuit gets activated 
when we pursue an insight and then capture it. And then, wham, there's a little illumination. And those illuminations have a directionality. And this is what Integral taught me and teaches everybody. And the directionality is towards um, greater compassion and deeper consciousness. And as we move towards greater compassion and deeper consciousness, there are natural forces that we've discovered that guide us. One of them is service. The other is sangha. Um, you know, craving mutuality like the conversation that you and I are having. Right. Fair enough. And, and, and let's get into that in a minute. But I want to go back to the idea of waking up in the eight zones, the four quadrants and so forth. And for people who understand Ken Wilber, and we're talking about Ken, we're talking about Ken Wilber, his integral theory and his aqua maps, A-Q-A-L maps, that all makes sense. But if you don't understand the maps, it's the way I would see it and the way I would experience it is I often think of integral is like raising the resolution on a Google map. Mm. It's like you saw reality, and then all of a sudden you just see deeper into reality. You see more texture. You see more um, places. Mm-hmm. You, and, and, and there's a stabilization of that realization so that when you go into an, a, a room with people, there's an automatic feeling into where they're coming from. Yes. There's a feeling in of your own interior in terms of your own feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a feeling into the, the, the room. There's just, you just have more antenna. There's more yes. online. You know, you get a stabilized, deeper realization into yeah. life, it's really just extra delicious to be with other people who have that same realization. Yes. And the, go back to the room. So you go into a room, and you're feeling the room on multiple dimensions. You know, from, right. from your own sense and from the field that you're feeling in the room. You know, you're coming from, you know, all four quadrants there. And there's a principle that we discover as we develop, and that principle is, the person with the deepest consciousness has the most responsibility to serve the highest good. You know, right. with deeper understanding comes more responsibility. And so you walk into that room, and if you have the deepest consciousness, in a way, you have the most responsibility to make that room work. From whatever position you are in that room, if you're, if you're the person who's the teacher or the leader from that position, if you're the, the student or the, the, the member from that position, if you're the guest from that position, and so on. If okay. you're in an intimate relationship, you're with a spouse, with a child. If you're with your spouse, if you're with your child. And, and the great relationships really are the relationships where the couple notices, and this is what I've been teaching for decades, the couple, the cu- and the great families too for that matter, that there's an understanding that whoever has the deepest consciousness is the person that has the natural authority in that moment. Right. In, in, in that area of life. In, in that, that area. And yeah. so in a family, every once in a while, the three-year-old will have the deepest consciousness. And so what, what integral parents do is automatically, they put the kid in charge at that moment, which yeah. reinforces that in, in the child, and it does it neurologically because there's not enough consciousness in the three-year-old to know what they're doing. But with a couple in conflict... You know, they'll feel for, if I feel like my wife Becky has deeper consciousness than I do in a particular moment, then my my job is to be influenced by her, to defer to her, and she feels the same way to me. And if we can give each other that that feedback courageously, 
um, then what that does is that accelerates our development. And that's what happens in integrally informed relationships. And that's what happens in psychotherapy. I mean, for decades, basically looking back, my job as a therapist was someone would come in and my job was to create an altered st- uh, state of, integra- of, of a second-tier relationship with them. My job was to come from an integral place, get a connection with them so that they were having a peak experience of themselves or of their relationship or of their relationship with their depression or their anxiety or their issue or their trauma or their sexuality or, or whatever, but that, so that there was that element, that peak experience of experiencing themselves temporarily at that higher level of functioning, and then they take that out into the world, hopefully with some practices, and then what that does is help accelerate their horizontal development, help them f- fill in whatever worldview it is that their worldview, you know, be a great business person or be a really good member of the church or really, you know, get what you want or or really uh, care for other people in the way that, you know, I'm just going up the memes. To have healthy manifestations of whatever their current worldview was. And that that was my job. And to a certain extent, if you're in the world, now we're getting back to the loneliness, since there's 3 or 4% of the people that, that spend most of their time in the probability wave of integral on enough developmental lines so that you can say they have an integral consciousness, that's kind of a lonely place. And so I've been, no, I've been noticing that for the last 15 or 20 years. Is that's part of what we have to deal with, I think, um, as integralists. It's one of the reasons that so much integral community has arisen, whether mm-hmm. it's online or you know, various groups that get together. Yeah. Uh, because it, it, you know, it's, it is just really so rewarding. Yeah. Uh, but again, to just jump back to what you were talking about with how you deal with your clients, I mean, it's, it's what we expect from spiritual teachers who are yeah. coming, we might even say, from a third tier yeah. perspective. You know, they're in sort of witness consciousness all the time and all that good stuff. And we want to be with them because to be with them is to join them. Yes. You know, one log lights the other. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, while we're with them at least, we can, you know, see through their eyes and feel into that territory. And it's just intrinsically delicious. It intrinsically just calls forth our own genius, all that good stuff. So I imagine with your clients, that's a very delicious, rich experience for them. And I, I, I notice that in myself, you know, when I'm in, at my best, I can really help people be at their best. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be even in a formal therapeutic relationship. It's just my friends, or the people I'm dealing with, or the people at the store, or whatever it might be. Uh, it, it, it's a good practice to I just walk a- around when you remember to, coming from your highest self and calling that forth from other people. I think that's the best practice, really. You know, in the ten, <laughs> the tenth ox cart picture, the ten ox cart pictures. That's the tenth ox cart picture. The guy walks yeah. around to the village, and every place he goes, people are enlightened. Yeah. It's the same thing he was doing in the first picture, except he wasn't conscious. Yeah. He was chopping wood and carrying water in the first picture and, you know, leading the ox around. Yeah. And that's what he, after all the machinations in the, in the meantime, that's where he ends up again. But this time, he knows who he is and where he's at and what he's doing. Once I visited Ken, when I go to Denver, I'll, I'll go hang out with Ken for a couple hours. And for whatever reason, after, after I hung out with him one day, all of a sudden, I was the 10th ox cart picture for about four hours. <laughs> and so, 
So I walked into the store, and I noticed everywhere I went, people started smiling. And I, yeah. you know, I had enough self-observation to go, yeah. oh, wow. You know, yeah. I stopped in the, in the, on my car, look over at the next car, and the guy would just light up. And I went into Europe yeah. to Boulder Integral. It lasted about four hours, and I was feeling this profound sense of joy and expansiveness. And it was obviously contagious. It was spreading from me for those yeah. four hours. It was quite yeah. delicious. And a wonderful practice, a practice being the thing we do to be faithful to huh. what's happening. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's not the thing we do to be successful, although we have moments of, you know, pristine, sparkling success, as you just described. But mm-hmm. we just do it to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned... Actually, earlier, before we started taping the conversation, uh, when mm-hmm. you were talking about dealing with your, your dad and a family member here, mm-hmm. uh, aged and so forth, that one of the techniques you use as a therapist is simply to keep the conversation going. Mm-hmm. I love that. And two, to be in a dialectic with people. And I, I'm not sure I understand that as well, but describe that. It's similar to what A.H. Almas, you know, uh, Ali Amid calls the, the um, inquiry process. Uh, mm-hmm. And speaking of transmission, uh, there, was a, there was an interesting, uh, he, Kerry Patton did an, an interview with uh, Hamid Ali, and, uh, and you, could, you could feel Hamid who, trying to translate a, a large understanding into the conversation. I could feel that pressure. So here's the dialectic. The dialectic, you know, comes all the way back from Socrates and Plato. And Plato was kind of the first guy who went, wow, you know, this particular, Socrates and Plato, this particular form of relationship generates wisdom. It's when two people are together pursuing truth, interested in influencing each other and being influenced by each other. If you cultivate Self, the self-awareness, and one way of identifying development, of course, is you're expanding abilities as a witness. In other words, if I can observe myself talking to you and observe myself observing myself talking to you, I'm, I'm expanding my abilities as, so, as a witness. And so in a dialectic, two people are pursuing truth, observing themselves, observing truth, and interested in receiving influence and giving influence. That's a dialectic. Wow. And, I remember the many years where I was interested in influencing. I'm not sure I was so interested in being influenced. Exactly. <laughs> when Ken talks about Buddhism, you know, there's absolute truth, which is pure emptiness, and then there's relative truth, which is everything else. Yeah. So once you get relative truth, then you begin to go, okay, any understanding that I have is subject to changing if the present moment delivers me data that says, uh, it's different. Right. You, you know, if, if right. the present moment at this moment gave me data that said that gravity wasn't exactly what I thought it was, my understanding of gravity would change. Yeah. I just want to point out that this is probably a second-tier realization in that when I look at the culture mm-hmm. and you look at, you know, the cable news and you look at politics and you look at the comment sections on these blogs oh, and so forth... It's basically about dueling realities and dueling yes. worldviews. And that's a certain stage of development where we actually go at it with each other. Yeah. 
And I'm not sure that it ought not, it, that it's not an appropriate stage of development. It's like an early marriage, an immature marriage. Yes. Yes. You know? it, this is, We're just fighting with each other about the toothpaste. And, and at some point you realize, wait a second, it's not about the toothpaste. And then there's a new maturity or something. I mean. One thing that I've been excited, that has been reassuring to me is I've been thinking an awful lot about Jefferson and Adams and Benjamin Franklin, especially Benjamin Franklin, when they drafted the Constitution. Because, you know, the, everybody's complaining about the current gridlock and the corruption and all that other stuff in right. the government. But I've been noticing that, you know, those guys, they had a deeper understanding than everybody else. So they created a document where if there was a substantial minority that felt strongly enough about something... They could, simultaneously, they could stop anything from happening in an environment where you could not use physical violence, which is how this has always been solved in human history. Right. You can't. Yeah. So in, in Congress, the, the Republicans just can't pull out machine guns and start mowing down the Democrats because they're so pissed, and the Democrats can't right. do it. You can't use physical which, which violence. Which I would note just briefly that there are still some parts of the world where that's exactly how it does happen exactly you know there was some election i forget in uh, whether i think it was the congo where one guy lost and he said i'm going to give up power just because i lost an election are you kidding me yeah and so yeah. in our government that that substantial minority can freeze everything you can't have a violent solution and so everything gets frozen until they agree to do something until there's yeah. some kind of agreement yeah, you, you which can requires see, a certain giving up and surrender. Yeah, and you can see that the, that the choice between the, the two evils, one evil of nothing being done, so there's a lot of suffering happening, but the other alternative, which is the worst alternative, <laughs> violence. You can't do right. violence, and so we're, we're, we head for the lesser of two evils until people are forced to agree about something and get something done. Yeah. And so this was, this was Franklin and, and Adams and Jefferson saying, okay, you know, since we're dealing with human beings, and since, I don't know, they, they probably didn't think in these terms, but since most of them are going to be conformist at some level, you know, how can we arrange a government so that those people don't end up dominating everybody else? Yeah. Okay, we'll do this. Yeah. And, and so for me, I see that gridlock. I go, okay, a lot of suffering's happening. I see this as Wester, a lot of suffering. But also that's the system working because that's going to force people to agree to things. And if people are agreeing to things, eventually that shared agreement takes us forward and the progressives always yeah. win and we move into the evolutionary flow. Yes. And that, that actually, I'll just note that one phrase, the progressives always win, uh, is basically true. I mean, we do progress over time. There are yeah. people with their foot on the gas, that's progressives. There are people with their foot on the brake, those are conservatives. Yeah. And they both need to be in the system. That's right. Thank God. Neither of us actually get our way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and if you look at all of evolution, right down to the wars of the beetles and ants, mm -hmm. um, you know, in the fields, it's, it's about contention. It's about stalemate. It's about... But movement, because ultimately, and this is just one of the iron laws, maybe the iron law of the universe, at least the relative universe, is everything's changing all the time. Yeah. You cannot, things cannot stay frozen. Yeah. It's what so, Andrew Cohen know, calls creative friction. Yeah. The different perspectives rubbing against each other, 
And if that's in a dialectic where we're influencing each other, then that accelerates the development of new perspectives of, of, of newness into the world. Now, so you as a therapist, let me just you know, sure. get it right down to the nitty-gritty of you know, these thousands of therapy sessions you've had with people in all sorts of extremists yes. and all sorts of stages of consciousness. Yes. You're being influenced. Yes. I'm being influenced. Cool. They're being influenced. You know, the, part of the, the, the thing that we forget about, about integral and about the second tier, and this is something that, that I, I teach a lot because I feel like it's very important. You know, the second, healthy manifestations in the first and second tier are, are basically, from the outside, indistinguishable. The, the difference in second tier consciousness is that we're, we're just aware that there's many alternatives and that, and that a current uh, alternative is just the, the, the best one that we can choose. But, you know, in every meme, there's a healthy and unhealthy expression of that meme, all the way up through integral, in my opinion. Right. And so, as a therapist, part of my job is to meet somebody where they, they are and then to encourage them to observe the healthy and unhealthy um, expressions of their current worldview and then to, to let them know that I have a bias. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's, 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 non-directive psychotherapy is misunderstood. They think that the therapist doesn't have values or the therapist doesn't provide direction or guidance. Nothing could be further from the truth. When people come into my office, I tell them, I have lots of biases. You know, I, I have a bias towards you growing. I have a bias towards you loving each If it's a couple, you loving each other better. I have a bias towards you being aware of yourself in a defensive state and um, regulating that to a state of healthy response to the present moment um, with a minimum of, of distress and, and suffering. You know, I have a bias towards your growth. I have a lot of biases. And, and, and people come in, they go, well, you know, I want to be normal. I go, well, that's too bad because I don't want anybody I work with to be normal. I want everybody, normal is a statistical concept, I want everybody I work with to be abnormally loving, abnormally happy. <laughs> I want them to be speeding, I want them to be developing abnormally fast. You know, yeah. My job is to accelerate those processes, to do that by inhabiting a second-tier space, inviting them into it through dialectic and through whatever. Just keeping the conversation going. Yeah. I mean, in this moment, I'm just realizing the power of that. Yeah. Because how much time do we spend avoiding and hiding out and uh, frozen, where you just keep the conversation going, just keep the fucking conversation going? Yeah. You know, that's why, you know, and it's not just a, a we conversation between you and me, which is delicious enough. It's an I conversation in that there's a lot of internal selves that are always relating. Yeah. My personal belief is that that's where human consciousness arises. It, ar- it arises out of our capacity for language and metaphor, which you know happens. It, it happens from birth on, from conception onward, really. But when when language starts kicking in, that's when p- people start skyrocketing ahead of all the other mammals because there's these internal perspectives. There's I, you, me, us in the past, present, and future, and there's metaphor. That's an interior series of relationships. Now, in those relationships, I mean, just can we just pause for a second and sure. realize what a fucking miracle of evolution that was? Oh God, Jeff! Oh. Oh. Hallelujah! Yeah. Oh God! Pray, praise emergence! Talk about waking up! <laughs> well, you know? the, other, the other thing it does to to realize, you know, what you know, language, what oh. it brought to to the world space, to the universe, yeah. to the cosmos, oh, God. and then you know. 
thinking about these these stages of development that we're in now. So we have traditional or, or mythic, you know, mm-hmm. think of spiritual, mythic versus rational. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are really, rational is a huge developmental step. Oh, and then to move to post-rational. Uh-huh. And then, so we don't want to underestimate what second tier and moving into integral is, actually. Yeah. You it, know, we don't, we want to, you know, come from, a position of, you know, we talk about some of what people are doing in the integral world space, uh, getting together, Patricia Albert and her group, oh, yeah. the Evolutionary Collective, you know, creating these interpersonal, intersubjective fields of mutuality that are, you know, magnificent. They are. The, this is uh, a new practice. It a is. a form of practice. Well, I was in the Patricia's Evolutionary Collective for about four years, and to a certain extent what happened there was I popped. I mean, it was, yeah. I remember in the last collective, there was a part of me that went, okay, I don't belong, you know, when I, I left and started doing my, my current work. You know, I don't belong here, and so I, was, I, I went, okay, where do I belong? And all of a sudden, there was this flood of, oh, I know what to do. And, you know, that was a huge big deal because, you know, when people have come in to me, I've been doing therapy for 40 years as, as you know, and I've done over 50,000 therapy sessions. Basically, people come in and they go, okay, how do, I, how do I find my true nature? You know, how, and how do, I, to, how do I find my true nature? How do I know it's my true nature? You know, how do I live my true nature? People come in Isn't that a, hungry a beautiful that. and heartbreaking inquiry? Yeah. <laughs> and then they go, people, what's my purpose? What's my true purpose? And then when they discover their purpose, how do I embody that purpose? I mean, these yearnings are the base of almost everyone that I've ever worked with. No matter what they come in with, these are the the yearnings that are driving the other issues. And a lot of that involves these interior relationships because in these interior relationships, we either allow ourselves to have an interior dialectic or we dissociate, we disconnect. Um, and then, you know, in, in alcoholism, it's easy to see an addiction, which, which is denial. Pe- people think that denial in, a, in an in alcoholic or an addict is a person saying, no, I'm not an alcoholic. You know, they know they're an alcoholic, but they're saying they're not. That's not what denial is. Denial is they, honest to God, don't think they're an alcoholic. Right. You know, just because I get drunk right. every night doesn't mean <laughs> I'm an alcoholic. I could stop any time. You know, they're not bullshitting when they say that. They actually think that. And so you create a dialectic between the part of them that's screaming, you know, don't, don't kill me with alcohol, you know, that they've had to dissociate from. You connect them with that part, and, you know, they, there's a conversation. You keep that conversation going. This is what uh, working the – this is actually what the 12-step program is. You know, it's a spiritual right. path. And yeah. if that dialectic keeps going long enough, eventually somebody goes, oh, my God, I'm out of control and I need help. So we can do this with our family and our kids and our friends, too, yeah. right? I mean, we, what do we do? We just listen to parts of them that they have themselves associated from. Yeah, and love those parts, relate to those parts. And if they're not able or willing to see that part at this particular time, okay, that has to be okay. Right. Now, this is what drives couples crazy, of course. Because <laughs> one sees it clearly. One thing clearly, but the way they want to point it out is they want to point it out from their own blind spot. Hmm. So if I want to point out your blind spot from my blind spot, then you're just going to freak out. 
And then when you freak out, you're trying to point out my blind spot from your blind spot, and you have a couple of people doing that. And what that does is create accelerating conflict. Accelerating conflict turns into violence, emotional violence, yeah. physical violence, that kind of stuff. And so you, you have a couple doing that. The, the thing that, that I have to teach them is to go, look, you do see your partner's blind spot, but they're seeing yours, and you're not seeing yours. So right. let's look at your blind spot. They go, okay. And they'll look at it for about two seconds, and, they'll, and then they'll snap back into it. It's funny. It's like chiropractic. And I go, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you know, listen to your voice. What? What do you mean, listen to my voice? Well, your voice, voice is hostile and contemptuous. Yeah, well, they deserve it. Okay. So when they deserve it, it's, good to, it's a good idea to be hostile and contemptuous, really? Well, I guess not. I mean, it's funny. You know, you go around those circles. You know, you've got to be yeah. patient. And when you can yeah. get two people observing themselves enough so that they're coming from their true nature and coming from their true nature, seeing their own blind spots and then relating, you know, lovingly with their partners, then we, we start having the, the tantric practice. You know, that's the true tantric practice of two people guiding themselves towards God, which right. is one of the most beautiful things in the world. You know, when you see an individual waking up, I mean, that's what kept drew me to therapy, what keeps me in therapy after all these years, it's seeing somebody wake up to a new understanding of themselves or seeing a couple wake up to a new ability to love each other is the most beautiful thing in the world, Jeff. Breaks my well, heart, I'm, I'm, it's so beautiful. God bless you. Yeah, man, thank you. And I think about, you know, doing it in my own life. I'm not a therapist, but, you know, I'm a friend. I'm a, you know, I work with people. I, 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 I travel in the world. Yeah, and, and teach. Uh, yeah, and and so you know, just for us, for every all of us, it's. Uh, I, I notice there's one piece of what you're doing where you're just sort of radically accepting of anything that comes up, as much as possible. Right. With, with as much parameters. as possible, of course. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be a limit, you, but you, know, you, you got to have your own parameters around all that. Yeah. But yeah. But they know that they can reveal things to you. You're not going to recoil. The truth is going to be welcome, and not going to add to the stress no no I, I think one of the things that i bring to my relationships is that i always think of this one guy who talked to me about being a non-anxious presence oh that's nice you know and that just that alone and i always think of it actually as being grandparently grandfatherly Who's it's like the parent everybody. gets all worked up about the kids uh -huh. the grandparent gets less so yeah They've been around. You know, they realize the kids fight. There's this one. There's that one. This one's, you know, pulling that one's hair. It's all part of the show. When I think about markers or qualities of second-tier consciousness, I think that sort of radical acceptance of the human condition and sort of affection for it mm -hmm. in all of its craziness is really helpful. I agree. Yeah. And, then, you know, and that's, and that's you're a therapist then. You know, you're somebody yeah, right taking your consciousness you know, that's why when I gave my talk at Integral, it was we're all integral psychotherapists. You know, you take that consciousness in the world, okay, that's value added. You know, that supports the evolutionary impulse through all of us. You know, the yeah. difference is that you're doing it both consciously and unconsciously. And I think that's what happens in the second tier. Um, I think that when you're beginning to naturally do it, you've essentially trained your awareness to, to be there most of the time, more right. likely than not. And yeah. then when you slip, when you regress, when you become an unhealthy manifestation of some, one of the other memes, you're much more likely to notice it and make an adjustment. Yeah. 
Well, and in real life, too, I like what you said a, a bit ago about sometimes you let the three-year-old be in charge. Yeah. You know, but you know what you're doing. Yeah. And you do it deliberately and intentionally. And how delicious is that for them? <laughs> you know, I mean, what a gift is that to them? Yeah. To, to another person to just let them be in charge. You know, so the, the, the one, you know, some of the fruits of this second tier awakening is just a flexibility of, you know, all four quadrants. <laughs> yeah. For those of you, but just the flexibility of self and other, and allowing this world to manifest in the crazy way that it does, and not try to make it manifest in the way that we think it should. Mm-hmm. You know which is definitely, you know, a, a first-tier orientation. Every first-tier meme has an idea of what life is and how it should be and how we're deviating from that or we've fallen from paradise in some way. Absolutely. And in second tier, we just get a radical um, affection. <laughs> Forget yeah. acceptance. A radical affection for uh-huh. the whole uh, catastrophe. That grandparently, I think, is a really good way of saying it. Yeah, and how interesting really that it would be grandparently because it's the grandparents that have that sense of deep abiding love and also the grandparents are the ones that have seen the life cycle at least twice. They've seen it right. through their own yeah. life and through their children's life and then they yeah. see their grandchildren. They're the ones who can put that, that, that little behavior, the positive and the negative ones, in that larger context of the developmental cycle. They're developmentalists by nature. And so yeah. they're more benign, they're more accepting, yeah. they're more relaxed, yeah. they're thinking in the yeah. longer term. Yeah, and it's um, and yet they would draw a clear boundary if anything got out of control or dangerous. Uh, and and this is you know there's a this is a metaphor for how we are to be in the world. To me, I agree. It's like it's still a dangerous world. You know, as integralists, it's a difficult thing in a way because we have to sort of claim a territory of, of you know, that we're more developed than, the, than most people. I don't mean to put it in the worst possible terms, but it's kind of like that. That's how other people hear it. It's exactly like that because that's what it is. <laughs> Let's just yeah. face it. Yeah. You know, and, you so know, it's and like, it's not, are, face it. Is it doing anybody any favors to, you know, wake up? out in the playground and realize that actually I'm in charge here, or at least I have the whistle, or, right. you know, I don't know. Uh-huh. You know, I, I have to, in some ways, it, it's actually healthy for the system for it, me to take my place yeah. in that role. And you notice how self-knowledge is a big deal with that? This is, yeah. you, know, we, you notice how everybody loved Helen Palmer so much when she talked about the Enneagram? At the What Next concert. At the What Next concert, yeah. And, you know, one nice thing about the Enneagram and about personality stuff in general, but I really particularly love the Enneagram, is that if you know what type you are, it kind of explains your reactions to yeah. certain situations. Yes. You know, like when I was in high school, somebody put me on the student council. I didn't run for it. You know, there was an opening, they put me on it. And so somebody, you know, we were, there was a dress code in those days. And so... All of a sudden, you know, somebody says, what do you think of the dress code? So I started going into a rant about, why, why the fuck why we can't wear shorts during the summer? We're living in Southern California. All of a sudden, I was talking to the principal about it, and all of a sudden, the school could wear shorts. Right. You know, but I'm an any type three. I like the cheese stuff. I don't, I don't like being a leader, particularly. Right. And so, all of a sudden, I was in this leadership role, and I was very uncomfortable. Yeah. 
because no one had ever taught me about my type. Okay. Yeah. And so, because type exists, your type exists on every level. Well, and, yeah. And so, if you know that, it, so then, so then, you know, that creates all kinds of regressions because I got embarrassed that I didn't like, you know, shame, shame emotions, and so on. But my point about it is that in the second tier, when you have an awareness of yourself as, you know, from an aqua perspective, what type of person I am, what state I am, you know, what quadrants and so on, it kind of explains weird experiences that you have like yes. that in the world and your reactions to them. You know, why is it well, that Well, and I it helps you be friendly to people who are not in your cosmic address. Exactly. You know, because you realize they're not supposed to be. There's all sorts of human beings here. We can see categories. We can see patterns. We can yeah. see types. And these types are amazingly helpful. Yeah, and you so, realize that people aren't doing the things they're doing merely to annoy you. So how do you handle that? How do you handle being in a situation <laughs> where you're seeing perspectives, you're experiencing perspectives, you're observing you know, patterns that other people around you aren't? aren't observing how do you handle that you know i first of all i notice uh in dealing with people of a different type i mean one of the markers for that is this person's annoying me yeah there you go and so you know rather than you know when when i'm in my best self mm -hmm. uh rather than just continue to finance my annoyance and complain about them and develop a whole narration and story and then tell it to other people and really solidify it which is you know, most of what human beings do, uh, I become curious. <laughs> I move from critical to curious. Uh, and so instead of, how could she say that? Mm -hmm. It becomes, how could she say that? Wow. You know, what's actually, what, what is it about what she just said that makes perfect sense to her? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, thank God I have the Enneagram because now I can see she's a one. For God's sake, I'm a five. We're natural enemies in the wild, you know. And you know, she has this precision and everything, you know, the details. And but you know, and then I think, well, thank God we have ones because if it was just up to us five, you know, right? I don't know. We'd probably still be living in the trees. Yeah, but we'd have great philosophical conversations. We would. We would. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it was a catastrophe anyway that we don't just have fives, but. Uh, but, you know, it just, it, I think you move from critical to curious. I mean, just in a, as a back pocket practice, mm -hmm. anytime you find yourself kvetching about another person or the way things are, see how they, there might, what's the intelligence here? How can I be influenced instead mm -hmm. of just influence them? You know, one of the things I like to bring to Integral is neuroscience. Because the last 20 years, there's been an awful lot of research in neuroscience about how the human nervous systems work. You know, so the right quadrants have gone through an incredible um, up-leveling. And so what neuroscience teaches us is that we take in millions of inputs and we have an initial, we have initial reaction, a categorical reaction of yum or yuck. And that yum or yuck is informed by our drives. You know, we have drives to be safe. We have drives to have position on personally important power, uh, hierarchies. We have drives to get our needs met, um, you know, food, you know, pleasure, sex, um, uh, affiliation, so on. So there's that yum and that yuck. And then that yum or yuck gets elaborated into more complicated emotions, um, like primary colors get elaborated into uh, lots of colors. And with those emo emotions, what brains do is they, they give you that emotional reaction. With that emotional reaction comes a story and comes uh, an impulse, an action pattern. And all this stuff happens... 
within 30, 40, 50 milliseconds um, of some kind of internal, external stimulus as we walk through the world. And then about 400, a half second, we can be aware of it if we've taught ourselves to be aware of that. And we can be either curious about it or not curious about it. Now, what you're describing is when we're aware of the story and the impulse and the emotion, if it's a positive one, if it's a pro-social one, if it's a pro-life, pro-love one, we go, sure, let's just surrender to this flow and just observe this, this cool flow. If it's a defensive one or a hostile one or a destructive one, anger, you know, fear, disgust, contempt, that kind of stuff, shame, if it's an interior uh, judgment, we can examine it and go, oh, what's going on? We can do that what almost calls the inquiry process. We can do it with others or with ourselves. And then out of that comes a deeper understanding, which takes us back into that flow, of right. that evolutionary flow of creation. Yeah. Well, we don't have a fixed idea of who we are anymore. Mm. So we're not defending it, that. Yeah. And so much of first tier is just defending some fixed idea of who I am. Yeah. And so when you realize you're an evolving, fluid character, mm-hmm. uh, then bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then I'll change. And that's a that's a big move right there. Uh-huh. I think evolutionary in terms of consciousness is just this idea that, well, just the, the the realization of one's own development. And as we do that, we start really craving being a sangha. We want to be around yes, like-minded people. We really do. Yes, we do. You know, and and at least in integral, it's not just random sangha. It's like-minded people with a subjective sense of serving the world. That, that if there's not an element of... And the reason why we've got to do that is because if we don't do it, we suffer. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, that's yeah. what drove me into writing. It, it drove me into writing and teaching 13, 14 years ago. You know, I, I was happily cooking along, doing my life, having my practice. And I started having perspectives that were so great, it, it hurt to not share them. Yeah. It hurt to not go deeper. And so, and then it started hurting to not find other people who could who could work with me, and we could influence each other to create more stuff. And that and was going God from teal to turquoise. Yeah, no, God bless you, man. I, I I was in the same territory. A lot of people who are listening to this will recognize that. Yes. Uh, if we got into integral thinking in the '90s, and there was nothing, you know, just Ken Wilber books and this and that, but. It's really, we do have a community that's built of both virtually and in real space. And actually, it's a good segue. I think we probably should be wrapping up anyway. You sure. Know? And it's, what a great conversation, my brother. And let's yeah, you and more. I could talk for days. We do sometimes. Well, <laughs> totally great. I'll segue into a, a plug for me, and that is uh, we're doing a, a program here at the end of um, October. It starts at Halloween night, actually, for three mm. days, a weekend, called the Integral Living Room. Mm. that we're going to do at the Boulder Integral Center. And it's Diane Hamilton, Terry, and me. We're doing the what next stuff. And mm. um, so it's just about getting together and having great conversations and just working with the lower left. So check out IntegralLivingRoom.com. Uh, the site's not up yet, but at any rate, there it is. I guarantee if, if you go to the Integral Living Room, you're going to have the time of your life. <laughs> it'll be like you know, I'm telling you everybody's listening you go out there it'll be like the absolute best dinner party you ever had in your whole life that well you that's the idea never... don't we need that oh god 
You know, don't we all want that? And, and it's part of, you know, we, we've always talked, we've done all these seminars with Integral Institute and so forth, and you've been to many, Keith, and part of many. Uh-huh. And, you know, we, it's, it, yeah, it's great what we teach, and, and that's really super, but what's really great is that you get to hang out with people who get you. Yes. <laughs> and also so. people who see you, you know, in that, if somebody goes to, to the integral living room and, you know, you have a conversation with Jeff or with, or with Terry or with Diane, you might influence Jeff, Terry, or Diane, not even by anything that you say, but, but just by your spirit manifesting in that room, in that field. Oh, my God, yeah. And, you know, being in environments with people that really are interested in your unique gift, in your unique soul as addition to the field is a really great place to be. I think it's actually another second-tier marker in general is that, you know, at this point for me, just as a practice, my assumption is that everybody is spiking in some line of genius. I agree. You know, fuck it. I'm just going to go with that because it's so often true that it's just a worthy practice. I'll tell you a little secret that I've had being a therapist. You know, kind of a... Every therapy session that I've had, almost everyone, I'll give myself like one or two minutes where I'll ask, just for me, where I'll ask whoever I'm working with about the thing that they're genius about. You know, they might be a wow. genius electrician or a genius lawyer or a genius surgeon or something. Yep. And just I'll give myself a couple of minutes just to just ask about the secret knowledge that they have from that. Yep. And I, God, it's just been such a gift over the years of all this human genius just it's just every, you're right. I completely agree that everybody has that. Yeah. Well, Keith, what's fun, man? <laughs> yes, Jeff. Let's do it again. <laughs> let's do it again. Okay. Okay, everybody. Well, I guess let's just sign off here. God bless us, everyone. God bless us, every one of us. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.